Grab your Bibles with me and let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. I'm going to preach on just two verses today, Mike Rennick. Yeah. Thank you, sir. For almost two years now, I've referenced John's stated purpose for writing the Gospel of John. And we're finally there as we conclude chapter 20 today. Look with me at verse 30 and 31. John 20, 30, and 31. Thank you. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? Amen. Belief in Jesus is what God uses to change people, to transform us. It is the, the moment we stop trusting ourselves or anything else and we trust our entire lives only to Jesus, the only one who can truly save us and set us free from our bondage to sin. Jesus Christ. Now, as I've stressed all along the way, we must understand this is not just belief about Jesus, but it is belief into Jesus. Let me clarify again, because it is so vital we get this right. Saving faith or belief is personal trust in Christ and not just belief about Christ. It is possible to believe something to be true with no personal commitment or dependence involved in it. This is why the word trust is often used to capture what is meant by the word faith or belief. The fuller sense of a personal trust is indicated in several passages of John's Gospel in which initial saving faith is spoken of in very personal terms using analogies drawn from personal relationships. John says in John 1.12, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. Much as we would receive a guest into our homes, John speaks of receiving Christ. John 3.16, Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here John is using a surprising phrase when he does not simply say, whoever believes him. That is, believes what he says to be true and able to be trusted, but rather whoever believes in him. As we've taught often, the Greek phrase better translated there is, believes into him. S is into, with the personal sense of trusting one's life and confidence and all of oneself to Jesus. For those who have entered into our study of John already believing in Jesus, John's purpose is not wasted on us all throughout this journey for two years. Why? Because believers must go on believing into Jesus. We must never stop stoking the fire for our God-given faith. We must work out our salvation, as Paul says in Philippians 2.12. Why is this so critical? 
Why do we, the saved and the set free, need to return to the gospel and meditate on the testimony of Jesus again and again and again? The answer is to grow in our faith, to exercise the muscle of our faith, to learn steadfastness in our faith, to correct mislaid foundations of our faith with rock-solid theology, biblical grounding. The Bible is clear, and this is a potent and sobering statement if you really grasp what it means. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans 14, 23. Because we are growing to abide in Christ, we need to know Christ. And I don't mean just know about Him, but know Him intimately, rightly, repetitively. John 8 Chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So when John says, These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, he means the testimony recorded in John by the sovereign word of God is to be a tool in God's hands to awaken faith in unbelievers and to sustain and mature faith in believers, both of which lead to eternal life. Now, for those who have yet to trust into Jesus with saving faith, yet to die to self and the lordship of your own life, that he would be the Lord of your life. The purpose of John is to testify to the sinner of the true person of Christ, that you might believe This is a salvation book, the Gospel of John. And in order to have salvation, you must believe in the true Christ. Again, this testimony is not momentary. And the the trust is not momentary. It's, It's not a box you check. But a death of an old self, of an old life, and the birth of a new one. It will mean that the most significant transition that you've ever known The person who banks their entire eternal standing on a one-time, repeat-after-me statement of belief, and that's it, is not a believer. They're an imposter. The saved ones are those who, because of regeneration or new birth, don't just have a moment and then go back to the life that they once lived, Lord of their own life. They're forever transformed, born again, as the Scripture is saying, Unto a new life where Jesus is Lord and I am no longer. It's a transformation of new beginning by which nothing else compares. It's an entirely new life lived, trusting in Jesus, walking by faith and not by sight. If your life is marked by a repetition of stated proclamations of belief about Jesus, but you still at the end of the day are trusting in yourself, then you're still on the throne of your own life and you're still dead in your sin. It is only when your stated proclamation of belief that Jesus is Savior and Lord is backed by the evidence of His regeneration in your life, a life that submits to Him as Lord, submits to His holy word to instruct and lead us, doesn't make it be what we want it to be and package it and compartmentalize it. Let me be clear. 
Our lives of living in faith do not earn justification or salvation. The moment of salvation in which Jesus regenerates a person and gives them saving faith is when a person is declared justified before God. That is the work of God. And we don't add to this. But being truly saved is shown by a life of repentance, of continued trust in Jesus. We're talking about evidence of real saving faith. Not earning it, but evidence of it. God does the saving. We don't add to His work. But trust is committing our lives to Jesus. It's passing over the line of belonging to ourselves, of doing it our way. And it's joyful to die to self daily, to take up our crosses and to follow Him. That's the evidence of true conversion. Conversion is our Holy Spirit-empowered response to the Gospel call in which we sincerely repent of our sin and place our complete trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. A clarity here is needed. Our conversion, our faith, is often where we love to take credit for something that's not ours. Understand, the action of repentance and belief is ours in contrast to it being someone else's or done for us. It is your doing. God doesn't believe or trust in Christ for you. You do. This is true. But while the action of repentance and belief is one genuine and willing after new birth, the power and the motivation to do it is not ours, but is a gracious gift of God. The clearest place we see this in Scripture is in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Even your faith is a gift of God, so that when you stand before God's throne one day, it's not, I'm glad you did all of this, and I'm glad I did my part. No, you will utterly fall on your face with nothing to boast in nothing to claim you will acknowledge that it was him and all him salvation belongs to the lord by which we praise him by which we testify of him the scriptures affirm that it is you and not anyone else who indeed trust in jesus meaning it is a most personal faith the problem lies in who do you give credit for that faith if it is by your power then praise be to you and we miss the biblical emphasis. But if the, credit, if the credit is to God, because it is His gift, it is His doing, then praise be to God. He gave us saving faith. In this, our view of repentance and belief is in line with Scripture and not something that the modern church and many people have made it. Paul clearly says that this work is God's in and through us. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe, belief is a gift in him, but also suffer for his sake. Both a gift of God for his namesake. In this, I encourage people to avoid using commonly used language like, on this day, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. 
Let me tell you about something I did on that day. Instead, give all credit and glory to God, whom it belongs. On this day, God saved me. God gave me saving faith. Glory and praise to God forevermore. John 20, 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life, eternal life, in his name. To have eternal life, you must believe in the true Christ. You must believe in the true Christ, not in a false Christ or a misrepresentation of Christ, not the Christ of human intuition or human philosophy or false religion, the true Christ. This is who we have met and come to know as we've studied the Gospel of John for the last two years. Finally, notice that John emphasizes in verse 31, these things are written that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. Not only, not all of the testimony of Jesus' life is in the pages of John. That's what he stated in verse 30. But what is written, what we have read is the good news. It is the gospel, the testimony of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. The gospel is not something, church, we ever move past. It is the way we make all progress in our faith. On one hand, the gospel is the truth about God's grace and his power for salvation for all who believe, Romans 1.16. But on the other hand, the gospel is a living power that continually expands its influence in our lives. The problem so many Christians have made is to think that the gospel is just for salvation and once saved, you move on to deeper things. This line of thinking reveals how some don't understand the reality that the gospel is everything to the Christian, both for salvation and sanctification. We're transformed when we live in line with the gospel, as stated in Galatians 2, avoiding both legalism and license, and pursuing the joy found complete and utter surrender of our unrighteous life in exchange for Jesus' perfect righteousness. The gospel is what makes us right with God. That's justification. And it's also what frees us to delight in God in sanctification. The gospel so changes everything that it restructures our motivations, our self-understanding, our identity, and our view of the world, our priorities within it. The gospel changes your heart which then allows everything else about you to authentically be transformed. By thinking, hoping, and living out the lines or ramifications of the gospel, every dimension of life is renewed, spiritual, psychological, financial, physical, corporate, and social. The gospel is to be applied to every area of thinking, feeling, relating, working, and behaving. And as as I've said before, sin is simply a misapplication of the gospel. When you are in sin or tempted to sin, you're not applying the gospel correctly in your life 
or your identity or that situation. As we prepare to move into the final chapter of our two-year study of John, I pray that you never think that we're done with the gospel. We cannot and need not ever add to or move beyond the gospel. There can only be a different gospel, a false gospel, which is not good news at all. Every other gospel is a false gospel and cannot bring joy. Apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins, no hope, no transformation into Christ-likeness. There is no lasting life. Repent and believe in Jesus alone and be saved. Be transformed and be sent by God for his amazing kingdom work. May it be so in our church and in many more who will join us in the months and the years to come. Amen? May we fulfill our mission as a church to glorify God through lives that are being utterly transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We have three more sermons. And we will conclude on the exact Sunday we started two years ago. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the work that you're doing in the life of our church. I thank you for the work that you've done in this last season in the life of individuals, in marriages, in families. And so, Lord, we effort to not take over or think that we can lay claim to the work of salvation. The word is clear throughout the Old Testament and the New that salvation belongs to you, Lord. And so we testify the gospel we aim to study and know it and hear it but for those who hear it in that sovereign time that you give them ears to hear and eyes to see that they believe that they believe with wild abandon of the old life and submit their life to you and even now today lord if there's conviction of sin by which we claim to have trusted jesus and that he is the lord of our life but are still really on the throne of our own lives and making our own way and our own decisions and our own priorities outside of your holy word and work in the church, that we would repent, that we confess that that is sin, that we would joyfully lean into the beautiful gift of your holy word and the community of people that you're redeeming, a diverse community to be part of your restored body, adopted sons and daughters, to be part of serving in the church, growing in godly teaching, being discipled unto making disciples. But it's never too late to confess and repent and take up a new path in light of the gospel, that you would be honored in such things. Lord, I pray you would, you would slaughter any pride that says, no, I'm fine on my own. I'll do it my own way. That you would annihilate pride. Humble us. Break us before the holy cross of salvation of Jesus. That we would see and savor the gospel and believe and have eternal life with you. We thank you, Lord, for the work you've done and continue to do in and through us. Hear us as we, as we rally around your throne in worship and exaltation. In Jesus' name. Amen.